Hello, welcome to the next installment of the Center for Community Media's podcast series. I'm your host, Ashley Anthony. I recently had the opportunity to discuss the topic of sexual assault with Sarah Valois, one of the counselors with the Counseling Center at Worcester State University. Her focus is sexual assault prevention and response. Sarah Valois. And what office are you working at Worcester State University? I work for the Counseling Center. How did your prior experience prepare you for your current work with sexual assault survivors? I had worked for a local nonprofit agency that supports um, children and families called UINC and worked there for 10 years before I had come here and primarily worked with middle school and high school age children and their families. And a lot of those kids and their families have experiences with trauma, particularly sexual violence, domestic violence, assaults, and different other traumatic incidents. So my experience in sort of the trauma field um, really began working with those families. How did you get involved with working with sexual assault survivors on this particular campus? Through the experience I had had working with um, kids and their families um, who, who have dealt with trauma. When I applied for the position here, that was more of a specialty that I had had and was offered to help take a role in sexual assault response and prevention for the agency, which I jumped at because I, it's something I'm very passionate about. So what is sexual assault? So sexual assault is a broad term that actually refers to any sort of behavior or contact in a sexualized nature that's unwanted, so towards someone's body. Not even necessarily unwanted, but without the explicit consent of the person. So it's a little bit broader. Rape is a little bit different because it's actually more specific in terms of it really defines penetration, using any sort of body or object into any sort of orifice for somebody. So sexual assault can be attempted rape, and so Largely, sexual violence can, is often referred to to sort of talk about sexual assault, rape, or even childhood sexual abuse. Or sometimes, often people just say sexual assault to sort of get out the broader meaning. So it kind of flips the misconception that rape is the only type of sexual assault. Correct. Absolutely. Some people, you know, sort of think of rape as something in particular, too, and... And, and they draw lines there. Well, I didn't, I didn't rape somebody. And again, that doesn't mean that there was consent. That doesn't mean that what happened was consensual, that it was wanted, or it didn't cross some boundaries. Okay. What are the statistics for the likelihood of sexual assault for women during their college years? They are the um, group that is uh, the highest uh, statistics in terms of being perpetrated, but men are also um, survivors of sexual assault and sexual violence. And so I think that's really important. Um, 20% of college-age women um, 
have experienced either attempted or completed um, sexual assault or rape. Um, and 6% of college-age men. It's a little bit interesting, I think, because college-age women are actually at less risk than their peers who are non-college involved. Um, college-age men are more at risk than men, like in the 18 to 24 bracket that um, aren't college involved. So I think that's a little interesting. But women over, you know, overwhelmingly experience this more. One in six women in their lifetime have an attempted or completed rape. How does the sexual assault affect the survivor emotionally in the immediate aftermath and long-term aftermath of the incident? So I think sometimes there could be expectations or preconceptions about what it looks like to be a survivor. And if you think of like one in six minute women, like how many women do you pass, right? And, and what do they look like? They, they look like everyday people. They're not in a corner huddled up somewhere. It's not always obvious. And many women, um, and I'll say women again, because that's sort of the majority, but again, could be men, um, don't report what's happened. And so, they are going through life as, as best they can. For some, it doesn't come up for them until later. They've really tried to like hold their feelings and later things are happening in life that make it hard to cope with what's happening. They could be in a relationship or a situation that triggers them and then that's when it comes out for them. At any point, you could see a survivor struggling emotionally, struggling with relationships, struggling to trust, being fearful of others, maybe not doing things that they normally would have, maybe not wanting to go to places that, that they normally would have, avoiding some places. There, it can increase emotional stressors or mental health um, stressors if someone has experienced those. It could become new for them, so they, be, could, they could become more withdrawn or isolated or depressed. It can increase anxiety. The effects of an assault or rape on someone are, are significant. They're equivalent to PTSD symptoms that war survivors have, and those symptoms can come up at different points for people. Well, I'm glad we have someone here that they can speak to whenever they're going through the motion. Absolutely, yeah. What is the profile of a perpetrator of sexual assault? Again, it's not TV. It's not often someone jumping out of the woods um, that people don't know. And that's not to say that doesn't happen because that does happen and, and clearly that's a scary situation when that happens. But 75 to 90% of perpetrators are somebody that the survivor knows. So it's an acquaintance that they've just met at a party, someone they've been introduced to. It could be their boyfriend, their husband, their partner, their significant other. Again, typically it, it's male to female. Females also assault males. And so that's important to note too, that this is not gender specific. It affects, you know, all genders, you know, cisgender or not. It, it impacts all people. RAIN is an organization that has statistics about perpetrators for sexual violence. Their statistics are that 50% of perpetrators are th age 30 or older, 25% are between the 21 to 29 category, 57% are Caucasian, that often they have a history of criminal histories. I've seen in my work that they also have a history of sort of their own trauma experiences or negative life events. And when they look at sort of sexual assault or violence, 90% of them are completed by one person. So there's a small percentage of people who perpetrate and those people perpetrate over and over again, which is important to note because most, again, if you're thinking of males to females, most males are not perpetrators. So I think that's also important to know. What is the motivation behind their choice to commit sexual assault on another person? A lot of times it's not, it's really about them. And so it's not about the other person at all. It's a means to control. It's a means to exercise power. It's a very selfish, self-centered act that is not taking into consideration 
another person. Can you explain the concept of victim blaming? Why did you invite him into your room? Or, you know, what were you drinking? You know, were you alone? You know, what, you know, and again, that's victim blaming. It's these assumptions that somehow the survivor did something to cause what happened or could have prevented it somehow. The person themselves is typically already feeling like they should have done something else and they feel guilty about what's happened. And it's really hard for, sometimes for survivors to work through that. I think the other thing to remember with victim blaming is that most survivors tell the truth. So when somebody reports an assault, sometimes people have an assumption that, again, we'll use women as, as the, the general, that women are just making this up. They're, you know, trying to get someone in trouble. And there have been studies done on that. And it's a very small percentage. It's around five to as high as eight at times. But around 5% of women make false reports, which means 95% are accurate. So women aren't lying about this, and believing someone is really important. What should a friend or a family member do to support a sexual assault survivor? You have um, survivors who come forward to their parents, and their parents are very well-intentioned and bring them up to university police and want to talk with us and, you know, want to get things done for them. <laughs> um, and... Sometimes that's not what the survivor needs. Sometimes that's not what they want to have happened. They're not ready for those conversations. Um, they can be really hard, really difficult, and they've already been in a position where they haven't had control and consent. And so it's important that as friends and relatives, we remember that they need to have choices. And that can be really hard. Like when you love somebody, you want you want to get the bad person. You want them to pay for what's happened. Um, but for survivors, they need to be able to make that decision for themselves. Hopefully, and again, encouraging them to get support, see a counselor, I think is a great place because counselors are confidential. It's a good place to start because you can talk about what's happened without being pressured to make any decisions. It's just a place to check in about how you're doing and get support or advice along the way. Are there any coping strategies that may be useful for friends or family members? I think that using positive coping skills and self-care is really important. And so even, you know, for survivors, we, we encourage them to do that. Um, and for friends and family, too. So find opportunities to take care of each other. Um, you know, whatever that is for, for somebody. Maybe it's being outside. Maybe it's, you know, being in a relaxing environment. Being with people they trust. Um, and I think for friends and family as well, getting the support you need to support your friend or family member. Like sometimes you might maybe need counseling or support so that you can support them in the best way possible. So you mentioned consent earlier. Mm -hmm. What is consent exactly? It's a yes. It's a I want to engage in what's happening. Um, it's not implied. It's not um, a body language thing. It's not they gazed into my eyes longer. Um, it's not we were kissing, so that means I get to touch you or we get to have sex. Like every aspect of what someone's engaging in needs to be consented to. Um, and that is hard for people sometimes. Consent can also be sexy. Like it's, you know, you want a yes when you're with somebody. Like that's a good thing, right? To be like, yes, we want to do something, you know, we're in this together. Um, and not and not sort of, you know, have it be something where somebody maybe wasn't sure. A verbal acknowledgement um, of, of what's happening. 
And because you've done something in the past doesn't mean you're entitled to it in the future. It doesn't mean you're entitled to it now. Um, because you're dating doesn't mean you're entitled to it. You know, all of these aspects that you want people to be involved in the choices that they're making, especially when it comes to healthy sexual relationships. Can consent be obtained while one party is under the influence of alcohol? So, um, no, essentially. <laughs> um, it can get gray. So can someone drink alcohol and consent? Yes. Um, so I want to make that clear. Um, if somebody is under the influence of alcohol and they're impaired to make decisions, then no, they can't. And unfortunately, for some perpetrators as well, when they're in those situations, you know, we'll often hear if it's a male that's assaulting a female, well, he was drunk and, and didn't know he, what he was doing. Unfortunately, that doesn't matter. That if you're initiating something, it's your responsibility to get consent and to make sure you have consent. You know, when someone is drinking, it, it gets blurry into, well, they looked fine or they seemed fine. Well, again, did you get consent or were you assuming? You mentioned sexual assault occurring in dating relationships as well. Mm -hmm. Can sexual assault be preceded by dating violence, sexual harassment, or stalking? For all of those things, right, those are really difficult things for people to go through. Um, but they can be separate. Um, you know, again, some people assume that you can't be assaulted in a dating relationship or um, raped in a dating relationship, and you absolutely can. Um, and so, you know, that relationship violence can include sexual assault and rape. It doesn't have to. There are unhealthy, violent relationships that don't include that, but it can. Um, the same thing with harassment types of behaviors. So that can stand on its own. Um, in terms of just, you know, somebody continuing to um, not back down um, and, and harass somebody perpetually. Um, if it's a, a, a sexual nature, then it becomes sexual harassment. Uh, if it's comments, um, things like that. And then stalking as well. So they can come together, but there's not necessarily um, a progression with them. Okay. What is Title IX? So Title IX. Title IX is a lot of things um, that we probably won't cover um, today. But what I will say um, is it's important to know that the university has a Title IX coordinator um, who's Rosie Naughton. You know, she is really responsible for making sure that students have supports. Um, Title IX essentially was an educational amendment in 1972 that guaranteed protection against gender-based discrimination in an educational environment in all aspects of education. So whether that was sort of athletics or schooling or programming, and there's, there's a lot of detail to this, so I'm sort of simplifying it. It really, you know, made sure that on the basis of sex, no one could be excluded from participation, denied the benefits of, or subjected to discrimination for any education program or activity. Through that, there have been other laws that have come that have given more responsibility to campuses, colleges, and universities to do more for survivors, to report more what's happening, um, and to make sure that there's a process to investigate complaints when they come up. And so all of that falls under Title IX, a Violence Against Women Act, it's called the BAWA usually, um, and then the Cleary um, Act is a part of that as well. And so both of those, like again, without a tremendous amount of detail, give direction to universities and colleges around how to um, report and investigate and support incidents, um, not only of sexual assault, but of those other things that, that you mentioned, um, the dating violence, 
harassment, stalking, um, and retaliation as a part of that too. And so the Title IX office in that procedure is separate from a criminal investigation. So survivors can decide that they want to go forward with a Title IX report and a Title IX investigation saying that they want the university under its conduct laws to really look at what happened um, and to make a, a judgment about what happened. And if it's found to have occurred, then there are consequences in place, just like there would be for any student who violated the university's conduct policies. And that could be a variety of things. It could, you know, mean if you're in the residence halls, maybe you're not allowed to be anymore. It can include, um, you know, no trespassing orders or stay away orders from the survivor. Um, again, so that we can sort of help them. Survivors also have under Title IX, if they want support, maybe they don't want to go forward with an investigation, um, but they can go to the Title IX office so they can get support around accommodations. So maybe since an assault, they haven't been able to sleep and they haven't been able to study well, and maybe they've missed a bunch of classes because emotionally they're, they're struggling. Um, they can go to the Title IX office to ask for accommodations um, so that they can get supports academically because we don't want students to sort of go through such a significant thing and, if, and then have their academics suffer as well. And so the Title IX, Title IX office really helps put those things in place. Um, and as counselors, you know, we will help um, survivors with those options too um, because we want to see all of our students be successful. Does WSU also offer support groups for these students? So um, we haven't historically. Um, very recently this semester we began um, a healing through trauma group for sexual assault survivors. It is a way to bring survivors together um, to support one another, to connect. Some of them have gone through recent experiences, some of them have gone through experiences in their past. It's a support group in the sense that they understand and they can offer support in that way. But there's also guidance um, from myself um, as a clinician in the group to help people process what's happened, give them a different way to talk about it, um, help them develop co um, coping skills and, and options and things like that too. How can a person participate in bystander intervention on campus? So bystander intervention is everything. In April, uh, coming up right around the corner, Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and the theme, um, it's a national campaign, and the theme for that this year is prevention is possible. It's important to know that like you as students, as friends, as peers, can do everything. One act can end up getting a person out of a situation um, and, and really be instrumental. And, you know, I think... It's important that, you know, people, sort of your basics, right? If you're going out, it's always good to go with people. To not, like, laugh about people joking about, I'm going to get with this one or hook up with this one. Or, you know, like, that is actually targeting type of behavior. And if somebody's starting to talk like that before they're even with a person, it, it increases the risk of an assault happening. And so as friends, you could be like, you know, just trying to get people to back off of that or being aware that if they're talking like that, that there's intent that they want to follow through with something. And so as friends, how can you intervene? You know, one is just by sort of stating that you're not okay with it. But two would be if you're out, keeping an eye on that person, right? Are they isolating somebody? And if they are, 
get yourself in the middle, cause a distraction, you know, like, like just like pretend like you don't know what's going on. And, and, and we're not saying something's going to happen, but we're just saying by doing something, you're going to prevent something from happening. Um, really making sure like if, if you have a friend that has had too much to drink, that, um, that they're not going off with somebody alone, that as friends, we get people home, we take care of them safely. Um, you know, that we sort of watch out for each other, ha you know, have each other's backs. Um, and I think to just know, know that it can happen. And, and so I think, you know, through some of those things, like really being aware if something doesn't feel right to trust your gut, but don't hesitate to intervene. Um, you know, and it doesn't have to look like it's a big deal. It doesn't have to be a big deal. It just has to be a way to try to keep people safe. A male, like you're, you're protecting your friend from being a rapist at some point, you know, from getting allegations made against them. And maybe that wasn't their intent, but then that's what happened because they didn't get consent. And so that's the truth and that's what happens. And so, you know, people get sort of concerned, well, I'm not gonna get in the way. Well, you're you're protecting your friends. And I think everybody wins when, when you do that. So you mentioned Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Yep. Does WSU have events planned to remote awareness of sexual assault during this month? One of just sort of the basic things we'll be doing is some tabling events to get out awareness. Um, one of the cards we'll be giving out will be a tip sheet for bystanders. How do you intervene? Um, we'll be at the pod, we'll be um, at the Sullivan Tea and in the Wellness Center um, throughout the month, spread out throughout the month, just to give out um, statistics, give out resources. So again, we really want people to know who are the confidential resources on campus, like who can you go to, um, which is Counseling Center is one, Campus Ministry is another, and Health Services is another. Um, and then what are the other resources on campus um, and even some off-campus options in case people aren't comfortable. Um, but we'd rather somebody seek support than not. Um, and so, you know, we really want to encourage that as much as possible. We're going to be doing um, the Clothesline Project. Res Life um, takes a big role in that. Um, April 12th, it's a Wednesday. We're going to do it here in the Student Center. It promotes um, um, awareness around sexual violence. Individuals make t-shirts with their stories on it. You don't have to be a survivor to do one of these t-shirts. You could just be someone that promotes against these things and wants to support the community. And we're going to have a space to make the t-shirts and then we're going to be displaying them as well. And then the Wednesday after that, the 19th, um, 11.30 to 1, we're going to show a documentary called Yeah, Maybe No. And what we love about this documentary is it's um, a, a couple of survivors' stories, and one of the survivors is, is a gay uh, man. And I think it's really important to really share some other um, stories, um, particularly when it comes to the LGBTQ community, as you know, they are more at risk as a population. Is there anything else you would like to add? Um, to reach out, to get support. You don't have to do it alone. You don't have to do it in silence. And the impact is not necessarily something that just happens and goes away. Feelings they're experiencing can last. And that can be really frustrating for survivors when they're like, it's been a year. Why do I still feel this way? Um, it's very common. And so we just want people to reach out and support each other. Thank you, Sarah, for joining us today. Great. Thank you.
As you just heard from this interview with Sarah Valois, Worcester State is taking a proactive approach against sexual violence on its campus and counts on the participation of its student population in this endeavor. Please be sure to follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash WSU Media and on Twitter at Media WSU to learn what's going on at Worcester State and also what's going on in the greater Worcester community. Thank you for joining us.